Ladies and gentlemen, this is our Beckett show, and it's been a hell of a two weeks reading Beckett in the world. In the world that we currently live in, uh, it all hits a little different. Oh my God, (laughs) this was like the last thing I needed, to be quite honest. Yeah, and you know, and we've set ourselves up a little bit too, because next we have Sarah Kane, and I'm just (laughs) like, I was thinking about that. (laughs) You know, but you know what's funny though, I I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I really did. Like, it brought back a lot of memories for me. Sure. I think theater people in general have a lot of ties to uh, Godot, but also just like, you know, Beckett shows. And you, if you, even if you didn't uh, learn about him academically, you've seen a show, you've heard about it, you've seen a spoof, you've heard the joke. Yes. Yeah. I just, I just uploaded a lot of new information and plays because I've, you know, other than Godot and seeing one Endgame once years ago, yeah. I didn't, I didn't really uh, have a connection to it. So I just, I learned a bunch and got frustrated a bunch. But that's the beauty of life. <laughs> I yeah, learned it, it from watching <laughs> you. And you know, we're living in a time where, uh, you know, the POTUS uh, has COVID. He was just making fun of his uh, opponent for wearing uh, a mask. The day before he tested positive for it. So that was exciting. Wait, what are we doing here? We're not doing anything. <laughs> Honestly, at this point, like, does anything matter? Nothing really matters. I don't know. Anyone, Any, anyone can see. But is there any point in telling I mean, the audience yeah, what, is what the, this podcast is? In, in nutball times and all that. Hey, everybody. Um, we should mention, well, do the, Bailey, you want to do your intro? Is really the any point? point? What? What's the point? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. We just got to. I got excited. And no, but I mean, at this point, like, why even podcast? Oh, I know, right? You no, know? like, why? I know, right? That should be the subtitle for all why? of his plays. Why do anything? <laughs> why? Welcome to Theater Theater, the theater <laughs> podcast for theater people, made by three theater nerds from the LA theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Bertram. I'm CJ Merriman. And I'm Scott Leggett. And we're each members of the Sacred Fools Theater Company, and each week we get together. We talk about plays and the evolutions of playwrights, and uh, we have strong opinions on them, and we discuss, we debate, and we disseminate all over them. This is our episode on Samuel Beckett waiting for Pado. Wow. Oh, <laughs> wow. He's hilarious. Wow. You know... I, I was joking a little bit before about the nihilism and the uh, existentialism of why does it all matter, but that is where I go to when I start reading Beckett. When I see Beckett, I, I get, I do, I get that existential, which I think is the point, right? Yeah. It's existentialism, but I, I do, I start being like, does it matter? Are we on a flying ball of dust? Yes. You know, like <laughs> what's the point? But in a good way, where it starts making me be like, but that's kind of. Awesome, because that means that I get to create my own reality. It means I get to create my own perception of everything, and therefore there is a point. 
If nothing matters, everything matters, guys. Life right? is crazy, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I think, you know, and I think for me is, I love, the thing I love most about this show is rediscovering stuff. Sure. I love discovering things uh, and playwrights and plays and all that. But to oh, you go mean back the podcast and, in general? I'm sorry? The thing you love the most about this show. I was yes, like, yeah. oh, oh, okay. Yeah, so, yes, I think agreed. I like the Absolutely. rediscovery because, you know, the, the humor of Beckett comes through came through for me where you reach that point where it's just like and maybe it's just the times and days that we live in but we've reached that point where it's like oh oh my like it's it's so ridiculous it's funny it's so absurd yes it's funny oh another uh, part of california's on fire big surprise yeah, <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh bailey why don't you tell our, our listeners mm-hmm. where we're recording at right now? It's exciting. It's great. It is. It's fantastic. It is. It's really cool. We're, we're uh, very luckily um, able to record live from the Pasadena Playhouse today. Vit, vit. Um, it's one of my favorite theaters on the planet, uh, but it's also where I work. Um, and we have even been able to survive this pandemic through uh, a lot of charitable donations but also we just launched playhouse live which is a streaming service you should totally check it out i think anybody who even barely likes theater is going to love it but there's like our, we just did little shop uh recently come on cj excuse me sorry she's coughing all over us coviding all over us tea down no, the wrong pipe fine. that's all it was totally kidding no but I uh, I think everybody would really enjoy it there's a little shop of horrors documentary about the one we did with uh, MJ Rodriguez and George Salazar huge hit right huge hit uh, James Corden had them on and they performed it was a big deal uh, really beautiful show and they've got a, a hundred other things that I promise you're gonna love um, but this is not the point of this podcast is to pitch this to you. It's more just to tell you. Uh, we're in but, a you theater. Know, we're recording in a theater. We are recording in a theater. For the we're second time. In, the second theater that we recorded. Right. We're actually in the library, which feel is feel like we're on a space. set for an Oscar Wilde play right now. Right. We're on the set of an Oscar <laughs> Wilde play. And uh, basically, it's this really old uh, library that used to be the... Uh, library of the school when this was a school, but also it was the office of the uh, founder, Gilmore Brown. Cool. Uh, his pictures are everywhere, and mm-hmm. um, his spirit is amongst us as we record. So, Welcome. shout out to Gilmore. Uh, Welcome, so Gilmore. much love. But it's just nice to be in a theater space. Yeah. It's just, and it, you know, it might have a little bit of an echo. You might hear that, but it's, it's, it's the ambiance. Yeah. It's like you're here with us. So I uh, fucking enjoy it. Get I got it. drunk in this room. You've got you've been drunk in this room. What? Yeah, no, I was Scott, did, you don't drink. Did, uh, I was in Stoneface uh, here at uh, at the Playhouse yeah. performing, and closing night we did. There was a reception here. The reception, the closing night reception, ends up being the entire sure. theater. But yeah. uh, <laughs> yes, I remember specifically uh, being here. But yeah, I've uh, I've seen some fun people drunk in here. Uh, I've seen a lot of champagne uh, flowing through a lot of uh, celebrities. Ooh, I, you know I won't name them. Ah, Jane Kaczmarek, <laughs> the mom from Malcolm in the Middle. She, yeah, and brilliant. Yeah, and brilliant stage actor. Uh, you know who I I think is uh, one of my favorite stories of this room actually was um, John C. Riley texts me uh, about maybe once a day if not twice a day 
saying, you know, hey, how are you? But he also is like, hey, come uh, open this door for me, right? Because he likes to just show up at the playhouse mm-hmm. and, and, and like use spaces for improv or for just to work on his own stuff. In his phone, my name is Booty Call. <laughs> because anytime he needs me, I'm his booty call. He just texts me, hey, booty, booty call. call. And I show up and I open the library for him. But one time I came in here... And I just decided, I, I just decided to make the, you know, the bold statement of like, hey man, like I just want to let you know I'm a real big fan. I think you're fantastic. I really love your work on Tim and Eric's awesome show, <laughs> which is like kind of an undercut because he has a thousand other things I could have brought yeah, up. But that was the one I was like really <laughs> like pumped about. Right. Yeah. And uh, 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 Dr. Steve Brule or whatever his name is, and he did the impression for me, and it was really great. <laughs> That's all. Okay. <laughs> What's the point? What's the point? Well, no. I'm not it's quite a, there's, sure. There's points to all of it. I'm waiting. Um, For but it's uh, this is a this is a fun, weird, exciting episode. And yeah, we're a little silly. I don't know what's going on. How are you doing, CJ? I, I'm doing all right. Yeah. I'm really glad to be here. It was a yeah. rough week, but like this, anytime we record or we do anything like this, I'm always cheered up afterwards. So right. this yeah. is this is my lifeline is doing this podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it is definitely um, the blood coursing through my veins. Yes. Yeah, um, you know what? Let's fucking get into it, right? Because we yes. don't have a lot of time. Let's let's throw it over to Scott. I'm excited his, to uh, learn more about Scott I'm I'm gonna yes. He's gonna yes. <laughs> Scottopedia for uh, our little history corner. Yes, history corner. Some, uh, some context for this guy. This is Samuel Beckett, man. We're talking about Beckett. This is a big deal. It's it, I feel it's like a we're really making big deal light of it. and. Um, before we get into it, I think that the most interesting thing that we're going to sort of realize as we go forward is he has an entire career. He has an entire thing that goes on. He doesn't write Godot until Godot, uh, until his 40s. Like, he right. doesn't start writing plays until his 40s. Yeah, he's a whole human. And by that human. point, he has... He's the most interesting man in the world, and I will tell you why. <laughs> Can't wait. All right. I don't know. I don't know much about him pre theater. Well, so he's Irish. I'm into it. That's all you mean. He's Irish. He's yeah. Irish. Uh, so, so Samuel Barclay Beckett. Ooh, Barclay. Mm, uh, yeah. I like that. Uh, nice was too. born uh, April 13th, 1906. It was Good Friday. Um, he's uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Mm-hmm. Good Friday. It was uh, a good oh, Friday. It's like a religious. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And. Not and and, and many things. Thing. Yeah, Superstitious. Right. Uh, he's a playwright. He's a novelist. He's a short story writer. He's a theater director. He's a poet. He's a literary translator. He's he he does all kinds of stuff. Lives in Paris, France, as opposed yeah, to Paris, as opposed God to Paris, it. Texas. Paris, uh, France. Most of his adult life, he wrote in both French and English. Uh, he was born in Dublin. Um, his father, William Frank Beckett, mm. was a quantity surveyor. I don't know quite what that <laughs> is. Uh, and he was a you survey quantities. Of, I guess <laughs> you survey the quantities of things. And uh, he was a descendant of the Huguenots. So, uh, oh, yeah, uh, which were uh, they were French Protestants, um, and then they were reformed they were calvinist mm. uh in this traditional sort of protestantism yeah. um his mother maria jones rowe was a nurse 
Uh, Beckett had one older brother, Frank Edward Beckett, who um, he didn't seem to be especially close with, but... Um, he was the untalented Frank. brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, uh, Sam, uh, there was a you know, upper middle class, you know, a slightly affluent um, stuff. He went to, uh, you know, basic ecumenical elementary schools and all that. Um, they, the Becketts were members of the Anglican Church of Ireland. Um, in, uh, let's see, in roughly 1919, 1920, uh, he goes to the, uh, Royal School in, uh, Enniskillen. I'm going to fuck up these Irish names. Enniskillen. Just put on a lilt. uh, which was the same school that Oscar Wilde, uh, attended. Oh, you um, don't he was there. See. Yes. He was there until we 1923. So keep in mind, so he's born in 1906 and, uh, this is 1923. So he's still a teenager, uh, in college. Um, wow. he studied French, Italian, and English at Trinity College in Dublin from 1923 to 1927. Uh, he was elected a scholar in modern languages in 1926. Um, I just, academia seemed to be his path. Yeah. Um, he was, he taught for a while, uh, and then he was just like, ah, I don't think I know anything and I don't think I should be teaching people if I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. Like that was kind of, he just, just sounds like, like all of his plays. Like, I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> Uh, exactly which, why I don't teach. I mean, yeah, I teach was, kids, but that's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah teaching makes like, me nervous I, yeah, as shit, I don't, personally. I don't, yeah. Um, and this set up a, a conflict with his mother that would last for many, many years. She, okay. She just was, like, heartbroken that he did not... Why don't you stay teaching, Samuel? Why don't you stay teaching? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I'll let that go. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so he leaves, and he starts to travel... Um, he becomes a. Uh, I'm going to start. I'm going to fuck up the French here. A lecture de anglais. Boo. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I deserved it. Uh, in Paris from 1928 to 1930, um, Paris would he would he would travel a lot and all that. But in, in between 1928 and 1930 is where he meets James Joyce, mm. uh, who is the other big Irish writer. Damn. Yeah, and and be, he's just enamored of him. They become very close. Um, and then, um, the story is, is that Beckett was Joyce's secretary. It's a little bit, it it wasn't that formal a thing. It was more, he helped him do research, specifically research that would lead to Finnegan's wake. Um, he wrote many essays and, and did many lectures, uh, around Joyce's work and that kind of thing. The relationship lasted for many, many years, but it cooled uh, a little bit uh, when uh, Joyce's daughter, Lucia, who had a little schizophrenia problem, uh, started um, coming on to, to Beckett, and Beckett sort of rejected those advances. Was she, was she quite young then? I, I, didn't I, catch I don't age. have an age on her. I didn't, I didn't go down that rabbit hole. Um, but he remains close with Joyce to some extent, although he ends up sort of rejecting Joyce uh, in uh, in terms of what he was trying to do. I'll get to that in just a second. Anyway, uh-huh. spent the next few years writing. He wrote everything, novels, essays, articles, poems, but he didn't get to drama until much later. He doesn't get to drama until his 40s like we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, he traveled all over the place. He did his first stint um, in Paris. 
Um, he suffered uh, throughout his life with depression and anxiety, um, mm. which led him to psychoanalysis in the 1930s. He went to therapy. He went to therapy. And he used mm. it and called back okay, to Cam liking Beckett more and more every moment. Yeah, now you like him. I knew you would <laughs> like him. I, I, I told CJ the other day, texted, which he was just like, ah, I don't know how to do Beckett. I was like, I'm going to make you want to make out. With Samuel Beckett, yeah, by the time this so is done. Yeah, and then I said, yeah, he's one of those guys that I would hang out with and be in love with, and then the second we had sex, he would never talk to me ever again. I don't know that's if that's true. quite his style. Beckett would, would legitimately come back and say, hey, just letting you know, this is not going to happen, but that was amazing. <laughs> Here's a lock of my hair. I've never yeah. met a guy Here's like that before. Here's my number, and you can call me anytime you need anything. But we're never going to be together. We're not going to be together because I am a man of mystery. <laughs> I'm a galactical being, and you could not handle me. <laughs> so I need you to understand. He is beyond man. Oh, okay. I think the most interesting thing, what, what his friends and, and people who surrounded him during this early time leading up to World War II, was that he was just a sponge. Like mm. he was just like ooh, like a kid. Yeah. Like I want it. Ooh, that. Like he tries Sponge to he tries to write Sergei Eisenstein in Russia because he becomes enamored of film and he's like, I want to go and study with this guy. Huh. And like crazy shit was going on and, and it never happened. But he just was absorbing it all. Um, so now we get into a series of of facts that are. So let's play let's play the true or false game. Oh, yeah, okay. Let's play the okay. True or false true or false. Game. I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you four things. Okay. Three of these are true. Okay. One of them is not true. So okay. you tell okay. me which one is not true. Got it. Uh, while living in France in the 1950s, Samuel Beckett used to drive a teenaged Andre the Giant to school. They lived in the same village in France. <laughs> Hold that. Uh, he is the only Nobel uh, laureate uh, to have played first class or what we would call major league cricket. Oh. Uh, he studied winemaking in France and became so obsessed with it to the point that it almost ruined his career. It was like mm. became his only thing. And then he was stabbed in the chest in 1938 uh, by a, a Parisian pimp. Um, because he refused the solicitations of the pimp. Um, and so, um, uh, so the, those are the things. Those are the four things. So he drove Andre to the Giants to school. I want that He played first-class cricket. He studied winemaking but became obsessed with it. Uh, and then he was stabbed in the chest by a pimp. Wow. Uh, which of those I is I have to be true? honest, I do know two of those already. So, yeah, some of, uh, two of them are... Uh, from, just from my knowledge of random stupid shit, like yeah. I did with Sondheim. It's just sort of like where I'm like, yeah, I, that's weird that I know that, but I know that. So I'm going to let CJ answer first. I'm going to say the fourth one is the false one. That he was stabbed? That he was stabbed, yeah. stabbed by a preacher. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. I happen to know that one's true. Yeah. Oh, um, I also happen to know the Andre the Giant one is true. Yeah, <laughs> which is amazing. That's fucking great. That made me so happy. There, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get back. Uh, I'll get back to that in just a um, second. The one I think is, I, I don't know. I've never heard anything about either of the two middle ones. So I'm gonna go for. He he looks like he played cricket. So I'm gonna say the wine one is wrong. Okay. Okay. 
And you're I said saying, four. So, okay, I, you I, said the wine one is wrong. You know now that that one's true. What would you and say? And you're saying and I'm the, saying the, the cricket one's wrong. There you go. <laughs> I thought you said the pimp one. Yeah, but she I knows know, it's but now true, I know though. it's true. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, so the wine one is false. You are correct, Bailey. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. nice. So you are played, so good at this le- game, Bailey. He played legit major league cricket? Yeah, he didn't oh, play, he didn't play very long. Oh. He he only he was very good and he played in university uh, and then he had the opportunity to play in like a series of games, but uh, yeah, he's the he's, It was basically fast pitch summer league softball. He was a lefty, <laughs> so he was a he was a rare left-handed bowler and batter. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, That's cool. It, that tracks. Uh, All right. So right? here's like, the thing about the Andre the Giant thing, which I knew going into this. Yeah. And it's fascinating how it's become urban legend. Yeah. It's partially true. Okay. Yes, he he gave Andre the Giant a ride. He also gave any of the other school kids... Sure. Walking to the village ride, they sure. didn't. Oh, that's nice of it. It was, it was, it was painted. It ended up being painted that they had some sort of relationship. Well, because he knew his dad or something. Yeah, but, but they say now that, that that that's not even entirely oh, true. Gotcha. But the okay. reason that we have this legend uh-huh. and understand it the way that we do is because of Carrie Elways and his from um, Princess Bride from Princess Bride and his commentary track on the DVD where <laughs> he relays the story. For the first time oh, is on that thing, oh, man, and then he 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 expands upon it in his memoir, right? Um, Carrie Elway, and he goes. It just becomes more and more hyperbolic every time. Wow. he tells the story. Wow, but yeah, so how can he's, you not? Uh, it's yeah. a great story. But that's amazing, and that it's like lived in theater lore to the point where I heard there's it. two there's two plays that are written about it. I don't know what? their titles, but there's really? two plays. Written about the relationship between my ride with Andre, <laughs> <laughs> driving Sir Andre, driving giant Andre, <laughs> driving giant Andre. Uh, I would young fucking giant. pay massive amounts to see that. Um, but yes, and then he was a cricket player. He uh, he was a uh, left-handed batsman and left-arm medium pace bowler. Southpaw. Uh, yes. Yeah, that checks too. And he uh, all the southpaws are nihilists. <laughs> he played I'm for Dublin ended, University, so. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's real. But yes, and then here's, so in January 1938 in Paris, Beckett was stabbed in the chest and yeah. nearly killed when he refused the solicitations of a notorious pimp. Yeah. Uh, James Joyce arranged that. a private room for Beckett at a hospital, so they were still close at that point. Wow. But he had uh, this, the story got a lot of attention in the press, and so a woman that he had met Right. Uh, briefly named Suzanne, Suzanne Deschevaux Dumasnil. Yes. Dumasnil. This is why I even knew the pimp story. Right. Because of her. So, yeah. And she becomes his lifelong. They don't, they don't get married until like 1961. Huh. But yeah. they, they become lifelong uh, companions and lovers. Yeah. And, and she's with him all throughout the French resistance. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, so here's the interesting thing. So he gets stabbed by this pimp and at the hearing Beckett asks the pimp, like, why did you do this? And the <laughs> pimp replies, Je ne sais pas, Monsieur, je m'excuse. I, I do not know, sir. I'm sorry. I don't know, dude. Um, so be- so Beckett eventually drops the charges against the attacker, partially to avoid further formalities, but sure. mostly because he found the dude likable and well-mannered. PCP's a hell of a drug, y'all. That's like, all that happened. It's like, ah, 
This yeah, guy's cool. It's, no, it's this cool. guy's fine. Like, he said sorry. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, you know. All right. I'm, like, I'm liking him more and more <laughs> every moment. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm sorry I stabbed you. Yeah, right. Oh, it's cool. It's cool. Honestly, I... We're good now. Yeah, let's Bye. move on. <laughs> yeah, no. So to backtrack, so then World War II hits. He becomes part of the French Resistance. He sees yes. what's happening. Cool. And he fought and, the Nazis. Like he is literally like on the run. He's awesome. there. Bar- he's burying munitions yeah. in his backyard. Yeah. The Gestapo have him on a list. They wow. are chasing him. Like he's in it. And he, he would have been in, one of the people. Uh, you know, that they're trying to stop in now in all the Black Lives Matter stuff. You know what I mean? He'd be like one of the top people on the list kind of people. In, yeah. he would be he's in so... He's an Antifa. Just, just a he's moralist. Antifa. Like, yeah. like uh, you know, uh, there's a quote that he, like, that he just, he had no, he didn't see color, like, it's, it's, a, it's a weird statement to say, but he, he right. wasn't... He wasn't into nationalities or races, like everything right. he believed that he in did, the one race of human. Yeah, and, it was right, all right. beyond that. The oneness of the universe, like everything is everything. Everything is nothing. Uh, this, you know, we're, we're uh, born alone. We die alone. That's right. The Socrates uh, quote: "Wise man knows he knows nothing." Or yeah, whatever. you know, mm-hmm. true wisdom is knowing that you know nothing. Yep, and that's that's what it's all based in. Anyway, forty-five. <laughs> so we're, we're we're almost we're, we're almost getting to the juicy stuff. He scalps Nazis. <laughs> so the war ends. He goes back to Dublin for a visit. He's pretty much in, living in France at that point. He's kind of been obsessed with Joyce and being in Joyce's shadow. Sure. And he t- tells the story, and the moment gets reflected and, and gets used a lot. And there's a lot of Freudian shit. And he's standing in his mother's bedroom. And he's like, he he literally sees it all. He sees the future of his career. Yeah. And that is to do the exact opposite of what James Joyce is doing. Hmm. So James Joyce was constantly re- revising. James Joyce, to oversimplify, believed that the more knowledge that you had, the better off you would be in terms of writing. Like, right. the more that I know, the more complex, I, I, the more I can understand these complexities... Um, in detail, then the more I'll, 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 the better writer I'll be, the better my work will be. And Beckett's like, nope, it's the exact opposite. I need to strip everything away. Yeah. I need to get down mm. to bare essentials. Which is great. And that's basically how Godot is born. In yeah, a weird way. totally. Yeah. I oh, also, yeah. you may be getting to this at some point, but I know this one story that always really interested me was that he went to a uh, lecture by Carl Jung. Yes. Of the, yeah, you know, the sort of uh, dream theories and whatnot. And um, he, I guess, Jung sort of ended up talking about this idea of uh, a woman, a theoretical woman who had never been born. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And Beckett ended up relating so hard and so much to that woman that he sort of decided in himself, like, I was never born. Like, he was like, I was never born. I am this theoretical yeah. thing. I like really, he was like, I really, uh, you know, feel for that. I feel for that woman, and I feel like a kinship with that. Hmm. And I think that tense a lot of his work, too, is that idea. Uh, and even the idea to, like, he can kill Nazis. He can fight the resistance. He can hide shit in his fucking basement, in his butt, bury shit in his backyard. Because he's like, I am so far beyond this plane yeah, that like fuck your sh- fuck your plane, fuck your society. Mm-hmm. It's fuck it's, it all. It's it becomes hero. a rejection of realism. 
yeah. he, 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 in the real world. Yeah, it's like, well, we can't. Hell yeah. He's like, you'll never figure this out. It's, so it's too random. And, and, and this is where you get into like all the, you know, the, you know Camus, he's influenced by right. Camus. And out, out, I'm not on enough it. mushrooms right now for this, you guys. Yeah, dude. Like, it gets, <laughs> I, it gets heavy. I ate and, an but it also, before. Are you not? <laughs> Are you guys not flying high on the shroom? <laughs> what? Shit, I fucked up. I, I am way up. I did. I did them up my butt because mouths and butts. Mouths but and butts shrooms. The same things. But and I miss oh, my cats. Oh man, you um, miss your cats? Cats don't exist, <laughs> CJ. According to Beckett, <laughs> I think I need to quit this podcast. Yeah, I think so too. Oh. I think we should all quit. No, I'm not saying you specifically. Because what is a no, podcast? No quitting. No quitting. <laughs> I, just to finish up some of the life stuff, and then we'll yeah. we'll get into the work. So like life stuff, the life stuff. Yeah. So in 1961, after years of stuff, and yeah. uh, he finally marries Suzanne. Um, <laughs> its secrecy is really it, it kept it really low key, primarily because she, of French inheritance laws and what she was going to be subjected to. So it was it was Beckett probably just roundly rejected the idea of civil, you know, a legal marriage, you know, that that demanded some sort of cer- certificate and, yeah. you know. Sure. We want to be married. We should just be married. Right. right. Um, but this is interesting. Um, in the 50s, late 50s, um, so even before they got, they, he married Suzanne, he started another relationship with a woman named Barbara Bray. And it was an affair and a relationship that lasted through the rest of his life Everybody was aware of it, so it was kind of an open thing. How is it? It was. Um, it was described as a parallel relationship with his one with Suzanne. They were Polly. Oh. Oh. Yeah. And well, when you're beyond, did they live in that uh, Los plane, Angeles? Does any of it really matter? Yeah, really. Right. <laughs> it, none of it matters, man. Um, but I just thought that that was interesting, and and. Um, I don't think it was a menage a trois or anything like that. I didn't go way deep into it, but it was just right. Fucking European. Now, I liter- wonder if you type artists, in artists, dirty European artists doing dirty. I wonder things. if you type in Beckett at Pornhub if it's all just threesomes. <laughs> Talk about waiting for. Uh, I can't do anything clever. Splooge dough. <laughs> Talk about um, gross. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, in 1969, he gets the no. He wins the the Nobel Prize. Suzanne called it a catastrophe because it just meant that he just had that much more attention, and he did not want attention. Huh? So th- there's He's like the, Kurt there's Cobain. this perception of him being curmudgeonly, right? And and he wasn't, or even hermitous. But I don't think he was. He that was either. just private. He just yeah. didn't. You know, but he and he didn't grant a lot of interviews. Huh. But if you right. bumped into him at the store and you started to talk to him about his stuff, he would yeah. talk to you about it. All right. Well, okay, there's, a okay, lot okay. Of, there's a lot of that with celebrities who are private. There's that sort of like, well, they're they're crazy then, and it's like, well, n- no, they just they're actually smart, and they're just not sharing everything about themselves with you just because they created something that you love. Right. Doesn't mean you that they then belong to you. That they owe right. you anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and then it also keeps, you know, like I think Bob Dylan, of all people, just created the greatest yeah. sort of aloof persona just so that he just didn't have to talk about his shit. But the way like, that you figure it out, like him. I'm not, I'm not, I, I wrote the song. I don't need to explain the song. Right. Mm-hmm. But the way that people talk about Bob Dylan now is sort of like, oh, uh, well, and then he went crazy and now he's just like in Europe. And it's like, no, then he 
chose a different yeah, life. Yeah. Right. Or like how we talk about like Dave Chappelle. He he went to Africa and then he came back and he was crazy. He's crazy. And it's like, no. what are you talking about? <laughs> no. He took a break and came back and made more comedy. Like, what are you and He's older and about? he's learned more and had more life experiences. Yeah, it's insane how we do that to celebrities. Like, we know them. And I want to put my foot down right now and say, stop it. Not stop fair. It. Don't do it. Not fair. Don't and do it. And especially to Beckett because Cam, Cam, Beckett. Um, anyway, okay, so is that his um, life? So yeah, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it. You know, I mean, uh, we can talk about. Uh, I don't want to get into theater of the absurd and all that, and that's maybe a whole separate thing. Although I yeah. will say that in my research, what I found out about theater of the absurd, and I think I was always sort of taught this incorrectly. There's a perception that all these French dudes were getting around in cafes and talking through this and all that. No, that's not the case at all. No, it was mm-hmm. a random. Collection. Jean Genet was on this a whole other thing. Camus over here. Yeah. Sartre's over here. Sartre's a little closer to Beckett. Yeah. And then the, the, it was a critic, and I can't remember the guy's name. Eslin. Is that, oh, is that it? Who? Yeah, so actually my little thing about Theater of the, the Absurd is that uh, I have a book that's called The Theater of the Absurd by Martin Eslin. Oh, and yeah. I found it at the bottom of a pile in a thrift store in Reno, Nevada. Damn. Okay? That's awesome. I was doing uh, the Full Monty there, and then I did the producers. I don't know which show I was doing at the time, but I was there, and I went to this thrift store that everybody would go to called Junkies. Mm-hmm. And it was just like weird, random shit, because people in Reno are fucking weird. And so I went in, and I found their records and their books. And I found this book called The Theater of the Absurd. And it's spelled T-H-E-A-T-R-E. Yes. R-E is the art. E-R is the building. Boom. So this is obviously <laughs> about the art. So I picked it up and I was like, cool. I then read it and loved it. And it's mostly just about those people that you just listed and mm-hmm. why they ended up becoming who they are and why it created this End of modernism, beginning of postmodernism, and theater of the absurd. And this book coins the phrase hmm. theater of the absurd. Yeah. So this exactly what you're saying is they weren't sitting around going, we should be really absurd. <laughs> it was like, uh, we should be very upset. You know, like, no. Absurd. Yeah, absurd. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so like well, Steve like Martin the, and theater fucking of Pink cruelty, Panther. Like, Artaud, like, Artaud, like, that was a conscious creation of, right. of a thing. Yes. You know, it's like uh, the, the dogma, the dogma. Manifesto that you know. Manifesto. Yeah. Okay. Never doing a French accent again. Um, no, but so, <laughs> but it's really interesting. This one is mostly about Beckett, Adamov, Ionesco, Genet, and Sartre, and it's yeah. like, and it goes into a bunch of others, and like Ionesco what their deal was and all that shit. But I started reading it again for this, and it was speaking of Beckett um, as being alive, hmm. and I was like. What? <laughs> when was this written? Because in my head, this is like from the 90s. Right. Just mm-hmm. about the theater of the absurd. And some dude wrote it. No, this is the book. I found this in the... It, I found this in the bottom of a pile in Reno, Nevada. This would have just never been picked up probably. Right. Would have just sat no. there forever. This is the original publication. Oh, wow. I What's went the through pu- it. What 1961. Yeah. Wow. The original publication when of this Happy book. Days came out. It makes me so happy. It's so fantastic. It's, what does it like mean? It's like one of the coolest things. It's 50 cents. What 50 does it mean? Cents. I'm just getting in the spirit of Beckett. 
Uh, what would you say? What does it mean? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, it means nothing. No, there's no meaning behind this. I just think it's interesting, and it's it, it's it's to Scott's point is that it's just like, yeah, no, th- this movement was just created out of like a time. It was created out of the world being in a certain state, and it's sort of like I almost wonder like what. It's going to come out of this pandemic time. Zoom similarly. readings? No, I mean, <laughs> besides true, Zoom these, these theater, are the- which I will fucking, I, I, I'm going to throw up all over all the Zoom theater. I hate it. I think it's so bad. What, I think it's what, 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 I'm disturbingly Zoom. bad. Zoom theater is trash. Oh. That's what I'm talking about. Well, yeah. It's all trash. It's, 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 it's just not what it's. It's, it's just, just not, not the it's same. It's just not effective. It doesn't it's not the do same. Yeah. How do you it. review it? Yeah. We need new reviewers because opera reviewers don't review dance shows so like should opera reviewers be review or should like theater reviewers be reviewing zoom shows they're not even the same thing we they're need not zoom even... reviewers new job market <laughs> yeah no it's yeah yeah it. we just gotta stop deal with it for zoom just theater. a little bit please, longer please stop i'm begging you just well, stop doing zoom theater i'm talking to you yes you the person who's listening not them they but, can't hear but me but i right have now. this reading i really to want all... to do i have this what uh what'd you say here, guys, I need you to hear me right now, okay? <laughs> Stop doing Zoom theater. T-H-E-A-T-R-E. <laughs> okay. You feeling Sorry. better now? Yeah, you guys didn't hear that, right? Totally uh, heard it. Cool. N- no, we will, though. <laughs> End of All play. Right, so Blackout. Uh, <laughs> let's get into his shows. Okay, uh, so let's uh, two let's hours. just breeze over some uh, a couple of the early ones. So in 1936, he uh, he does his first play called Human Wishes. It's not published until 1984. Mm. It's it's more of a sketch, an exercise. Eleutheria uh, uh, Eleutheria was written in 1947. These are plays. Yes, wow. uh, I didn't but not, not, it wasn't published till the 90s. It wasn't published Uh-oh. until the mid-90s, and I don't know much about... Uh, you guys perform- remember the 90s? Oh. The 90s? Remember the 90s? Hell I do. Yeah. Remember? 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 Remember the 90s? Um, then we get to 1952... Oh, I remember. And, uh, and Entendre uh, Godot, waiting for Godot. Oh, Gado. the namesake of our podcast. Gado. Our miniseries. Waiting yes. for Pado. Um, yeah, so real quick, uh, what was your first like experience with Godot? Because uh, I feel like every theater person has like a legit... Yeah. I've got two kind of separate ones that built on each other. Yeah. So the first one was I had this amazing high school AP English teacher named Linda Acock. I will never forget her. And so for our AP class, you had to teach the class. So basically, we had to teach each other. Mm-hmm. So everybody was given given their assignment, and then she would talk you through all your research. And I think, I mean, I remember, like, working for, like, six to eight weeks prepping for it. And then you got in front of the class, and you spent, like, two or three oh, full cool. days teaching it. And so Godot was my thing because, uh, you know, uh, because I was acting at that point and all that. But um, so like that gave me that was from a very literary, like a literary observation of it where you're talking about metaphor and symbolism and all the stuff in it. Uh, I think there was a recording 
of one of the of, of a performance that we listened to, but we didn't watch anything back then. Yeah. But then a few years later, it became the first full play that I directed. Hmm. Uh, I had wow. directed little cool. things and one acts and stuff like that, but it was like here's your directing, this is your directing project and what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I've got all this information and knowledge about Godot. I had the actors around me to, to do it. And I'm like, ah, you can do it for cheap. Like, right. Well, it's a, good, it's a really good first, um, you know, go at directing uh, piece because, well, not that I think every first director that that should be their first thing that they do, but it, as in an academic setting, it gives you so much, so much that you get to learn. Yeah, especially one talking to actors, but two patience. Uh-huh. That's something I had to learn really early on. Is that I would do these shows and I'd be like, okay, but let's just like get there. Let's just like go, yeah, let's yeah, go, yeah, let's yeah, chug. Yeah. And it's like no, like with this show, you have you have to be patient. Yeah, and you have to relax into it, and you have to look at the big picture first, and then go down to the minutia right which i think with yeah. a lot of shows you don't have to do that you can just be like yeah let's just go but with beckett forces you into talking to actors a certain way creating a certain vibe in the room yeah like like he like forces you into it and that's fucking awesome that that was your first go at yeah direct and that's so dope so i have to tell i, I have to do a, a mea culpa so friend of the podcast henry ditman Dit! was in that hey. show he played estragon and then a uh, very dear friend dave jolly who still performs and i think he has a radio show in denver um brilliant just natural actor like just 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 one of those guys that just just has could it. do it hmm. um and Got and then, then some other friends of mine. So the famous story about this is uh, the show went great, the performances went great, um, it looked good. But I got I got a a, a tongue lashing by my mentor, yeah, um, because <laughs> I turned over uh, going in uh, probably two or three days before tech and dress rehearsals. I turned over the uh, rehearsal to the stage manager uh, so I could go get laid because I was messing around. And like Bam. like Henry Dittman, Bam. like to this day, Bam. will be like, bro, you literally left in the middle of rehearsal to go get laid. And I'm like, yeah, like, because wow. she showed up and she's like, I'm ready. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to go. Because I'm like, Damn. you Peace know, I'm like 19 or 20, like, oh, you know. Wow. So I, 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 I bear that. And, and if I didn't do that Mia Culpa, I, I would just be like. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you the first thing I ever directed was Cowboy Mouth by Sam Shepard. Oh my god! Oh my god! Uh, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, but it was uh, I, I made huge mistakes. Similarly, uh, mostly I cast two people who were uh, my roommates who were dating. <laughs> okay, which for that show just doesn't no, work, no, and it, it felt no. the whole time like you were watching a brother and sister. Oh my god! On stage. Oh yeah, god. it was really bad. It oh was, my! And my oh my no. uh, mentor at Hogwarts, Beatty Pettigrew. Uh, ripped me to shreds and then let the class rip me to shreds because it was a main stage show they let me I like won the uh, thing that year to like direct one of the main stage shows uh-huh. so we did that as the second act to Zoo Story so we did Zoo Story first and my friend uh, directed Eric directed that and then I did 
Cowboy Mouth right after, which that's a cool, fun night, right? Yeah. Not when Cowboy Mouth is really bad. Because uh, uh, <laughs> oh, his man. story was fucking phenomenal, starring Teddy Trice uh, and John Alley, both friends of the pot. Uh, we're going to have Teddy Trice on for our, uh, which one did he say he wanted? Aldi. No. He I'm just to, guessing. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure Teddy wants to come on the Lynn Nottage episode because he was in sweat. Oh. Uh, he did the second ever sweat off God, of, that uh, play is so from, good. Yeah. I just read it for the first time last year. Lynn Nottage. I have thoughts. I have thoughts. About sweat? Uh, yeah. Oh, I like sweat. I, I saw it at the Oregon Shakespeare Fest. It was really great. I just really read it. We'll, 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 we don't need we'll do Lynn Nottage some other time. Uh, and I'm cutting all this. Actually, I'm going to triple it. All right. Um, <laughs> it's so good. There's, uh, I found like multiple like um, quotes regarding Gado being the most important play of the 20th century. And I finished, and I'm like, I absolutely agree with that. He changed, he, it changes everything. It changes every single rule. People, you can love or hate it, but, but he, he accomplished writing a play about nothing and about everything at the same time. Yeah. It There's is, nothing like it. it. What? There was nothing like it. There was nothing like it. And, yeah, he's Larry and, David. And the fact that today... It is always one of the top three plays being produced in the world every year. Huh. And it translates everywhere. Prisons, like, in, and I've got oh some information God, about bet. some of the prison. Like, prison performances of it are famous yeah. because they instantly understand yeah. it. They instantly get it. But it in also theme, works. In humor, in. Everything. Yeah. It works in Japan. It translates almost seamlessly. It translates into. You know, I'm a Harig. You can do it in Africa because it's so universal. He succeeded in doing what he sought out to do, stripping everything down to the basics. Right. What are these basic things? It's My foot first. hurts. Yeah. This dude's foot hurts. And that's going to be there throughout the whole thing. Right. You know, but at the same time, it's the, you know, it's the subtitle is tragic. It's, it's a tragic comedy. Yeah. And the comedy works too. And it's because. And I didn't realize this until I kind of went, I, I, I read the four plays that we're going to do our deep dives into, and then went to look at the others. He loves all of his characters. Yeah, and you have to. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, but I don't know if people always do. I don't know if Tracy Letts likes all of his no, characters. No, Tracy Letts doesn't. I think <laughs> Annie Baker does. Yeah, right. yeah. Maybe. You know, and I think we actually in, ended up kind of uh, speaking against her on that a little bit, like with. Uh, uh, body awareness where we were like it feels like she likes the pedophile a little too much right, right. but we're like exactly. yeah you exactly. kind of have to <laughs> right it's fucked up but you, you kind of have to in a small way you have to like the people in the flick to write the flick yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. and I I, I I think you're right about that CJ unless you have anything to say about that I want to know what your first experience with well <laughs> I made it into the Webster Regional Theater Program and I went and signed up for my classes and I, like this was coming where I came from in the Midwest the only reason why I had any theater in my life was because of my parents yeah. and they just took me to like whatever musical was touring through sure and I did summer theater and it was all musicals so like I made it into this college I don't know how through auditions and knew nothing like had read nothing and so the guy that was signing me up for my classes uh Doug Finlayson he, he was the head of the directing program I believe he's still there um I was like do you have any like reading lists that I could look at for scripts because I just don't know any material. He's like, yeah, yeah, this is for the directing program, but have a look at my list. And this was on there. 
And so I, I, re- I got it from the library or something, and I read it, and I, I, I was 17 years old. I didn't fucking get it. And I was like, who the fuck is Godot? Like, right, but also reading it, it's like, what the fuck well, is this? Like, but then I didn't, I have not, I, I saw Endgame when Fools did it, but I have had no time whatsoever with Beckett since then. Right. And then, so the first thing I did, I, and then of course at this point in my life, I've heard people talk about it, I've seen it spoofed, I've seen scenes from it, like it's all over theater, period, right. anyway. And so... I got um, an audiobook of it, and it was it was being it was a reading. They had all different actors playing the parts, and um, I was I was listening to it in Trader Joe's this last week, standing in a line that took like half hour or forty five minutes to get to the checkout. Wow. So it was just this long line where it was like every minute you took a couple steps forward and you were just waiting the whole time. And I'm like, this is depressing yeah and then I watched and then I watched the 2001 movie and that was my first time ever seeing it the 2001 movie the, the movie with um with Barry McGovern John Murphy it was on YouTube yeah. oh the PBS oh was that that's yeah, what it was yeah, the PBS yeah, yeah. yeah. So then I watched I was like, that there's a Hollywood film of this I <laughs> need this in my life yeah, yeah. I get I, yeah um and and yeah that was really my that's the only time I've ever watched it before right so yeah i basically um i had the opposite experience of you scott whereas scott had a teacher who he loved who handed this to him and and assigned it i had a humanities teacher um in high school who uh every senior uh, senior every senior has to take humanities uh at my high school and everyone always reads waiting for godot so both of my brothers had copies of it so I remember mm. I showed up with a copy of it. Like, yeah, I already know this one. But I didn't know anything about it. And he put on the movie for us. That one that you're mm-hmm. talking about. The PBS Is one. Is it the only one that's kind of out there? I mean, no, I've they, seen three or four different... They've done a few film versions of it. I've seen three or four different oh. um, filmings. I've seen the like Steve Martin... Like of live productions of it? Yeah, I've oh, seen okay. the Steve Martin, Robin Williams one, a bootleg of it. I've Ooh. seen the Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen Ugh. fully filmed. Um, there... Well, I'll, I'll speak to that in a second. I have a lot of opinions on those. But I had to write a paper on it, and I compared it to Cool Hand Luke. Mm. Hmm. Um, it was called Cool Hand Godot. Prison. The prison yeah, system. about the prison system and the waiting for it to get out. And it's one of my favorite papers I've ever written, mm-hmm. but I hated that teacher. One of my least favorite mm-hmm. teachers I've ever had. Uh, gave me a really bad grade on the final paper everyone has to write called The Good Life because he disagreed with my philosophies. Like, truly just not a good person. Mm. Uh, his wife was amazing. Taught me AP English. Uh, one of the greatest teachers uh, I've ever had. Yeah, but he yeah. just, not my guy. Um, shout out to that asshole. So, um, <laughs> not my guy. But he did introduce me to Godot, and I was sort of—I was really into it. And I was like, "Okay, this is my shit. I'm obsessed with this book, uh, with this play. Uh, I'm gonna produce it someday." And then in college, I tried to put it up, but that was actually what I pitched instead of Cowboy Mouth. Hmm. I remember now. But my pitch was, "I'll direct the first half, and Eric will direct the second half." And mm-hmm. she went, "That's literally completely beside the point of waiting for Godot Bailey. <laughs> is that it has to be exactly the same?" And I was like, "No, it'll be, <laughs> it'll be brilliant." She was like, "You're dumb." And I was like, "Okay, cowboy." Um, but uh, 
so and she no regretted that decision to this very day. Huh? She regretted that decision to this very yeah, day. Yeah, and she was like, you did one of the worst shows Hogwarts has ever <laughs> oh, seen. Oh, no. Minus 15,000 points from Slytherin. <laughs> oh, um, no. So, yeah, so I feel like I, I it do, definitely has a place in my heart. I've seen a hundred different versions of it. I saw, you know, a, a community theater do it in Wichita once. One of the worst <laughs> things I've ever seen. But still, it was good though. Like, it was fun. It goes to Wichita, though. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's what's cool right. about it. Have you guys seen the... The Sir Patrick and Sir Ian video. Yeah. No, I bet yeah. it's amazing. I have I, so I, I have I have a lot of thoughts about performances. Like, like the can I get I, my hot take real quick? Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, it's shit. <gasps> really? Yeah, I I don't disagree. I, I don't fully agree with that. I don't think it's it's, it's shit necessarily. It, let me let me amend. It's fine. It's mediocre. It's the most meaty of the ogres. Well. I think that the biggest problem with it is just they're too famous. They're too, there's too much of them in it. There's oh. too much gravitas. Hmm. They're supposed to be tramps. They're supposed to be, you know, and they're like, my foot hurts. <laughs> you're like, my foot hurts. You're like, What's great. Gandalf's foot hurts? <laughs> From the first line, I was like, oh. And then you just keep going, and you're like, okay. It's fine. And because it's them, it's enjoyable. I saw it at a Fathom events. They were showing it um, at an AMC, at a fa- or yeah, yeah, yeah. Cinemark. Cool. Cinemark. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, cool. And I went, and I was like, this is going to be fucking amazing. And from the first line, I clenched. And I was like, oh. My foot hurts. It's fine. It is fine. It is good. But then you watch the PBS version, and you're like, oh, no, this is pretty spot on. This is pretty much exactly how it should be done theatrically. I have a nerd out moment about the PBS version. I want to hear it. Um, well, I was watching it, and I thought. So the guy that was playing Vladimir, I was like, "Is that Jonathan Price? Is that a younger Jonathan Price?" And I looked it up, and it's Barry McGovern, who is. And I lost my shit and texted Scott. He is the guy from season four of Game of Thrones that the Hound and Arya come up on the town that's just been decimated by the bad guys, and he is the peasant out front that's bleeding out, and he has he just has that one moment where he has that amazing monologue about life and death. And oh, then shit. the hound puts him out of his misery, and I was like, "What?" what? Like I just Barry McGovern. What? That's amazing, and he's you know he's kind of everywhere too. I feel yeah, like. he's, he's yeah. great. I mean, he was great in this, and it just that made me like it even more no, when I made so that cool. connection. Yeah, and it's, that's a, that's just one of the you know it's a perfect set. The coloring's all really perfect. The guy who plays uh, uh, Estragon is just like the perfect uh, little mole man. Uh, that like, is uh, John Johnny Murphy. Murphy? Mm-hmm. Johnny Murphy. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, then you watch the Robin Williams, Steve Martin one. Which I think it's, I think it's awful. What, it is. Now, where was that? They did it at Lincoln Center. Oh, so it was a live yeah. thing. It was, yeah, a it, was a, it was a I've only full ever seen the bootleg. I think it was only even like a week. Yeah, it's, it's a bootleg you can Yeah, I've, I've seen around. the bootleg. I watched it in college. Everybody was like so pumped that they got their hands on it and we watched it. It's not good because they're just, they play everything for high, high, high stakes comedy. Yeah. Because it's Robin Williams and yeah. Steve Martin. Well, they can't yeah. step a, away from their own. There's a few schlock. insertions of, of, of riffing and yeah. jokes. And a lot of it. Like, like. Ow. And it just a lot of physical like stuff you could tell that Mike Nichols just kind of lost control. Mike Nichols directed it, and then did he? Uh, F. Murray you know, Abraham was Pazzo. Yeah, Bill Irwin um, yeah. was, um, and I'll get to Bill Irwin later because I got to see his one man one, uh, Beckett show that oh, he cool. did recently wow. here. 
uh, with the Kirk Douglas. And cool. um, I will say that I have not, that the best Godots I've seen, are none of them are on film. I, the sure. best ones, even in small, crappy spaces, yeah. have been magical. Yeah. And there's... there. I, Godot I, needs to be done in the basement of a church. I, th- like I think so. Done. I think so. Although I think... <laughs> I just got that feeling. I, I yeah. think you could do it massively, but Beckett doesn't write plays. His plays aren't plays. They're instructions for how to do a performance, and there's a distinct difference. Well, especially and in his later work, especially where especially in the later, he's one. just basically writing prose and you're uh, with no characters, and you're supposed right. to make a and, show, and, out of and it. which gives all this freedom, yeah, you know. Lovely. And um, there was a great interview. Um, Fiona Shaw did Happy Days, um, right, right, in the uh, two thousand something or another. Let me look here. Uh, two thousand. No, no. Where was it? Back. Yeah. But anyway, oh, I was oh, going to use that he joke was, later. Uh, uh, Fiona Shaw <laughs> and uh, Deborah Warner um, directed it. They talk about like this love hate thing that happens in the room. Like you, 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 you get to the point where you hate him. You hate Samuel Beckett for doing this to you. Sure. You hate the estate for 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 overseeing those rules. Mm-hmm. Like you can't you can't do weird shit. You can't change mm-hmm. this. You can't. Like they're very strict about it, yeah. And they, Fiona Shaw, in, in this interview, talks about the relationship with the audience. That the audience is a participant in it. Beckett felt that that was absolutely the truth. That you that that, that it had to be a live thing. It had to be a relationship with the audience, right? And I think that the most interesting thing about him, getting back to the that he's not writing until his forties. He's he he writes Godot because it's kind of an escape from. He's writing a series of novels at that point, I think right. a trilogy of novels, and he needed to break and kind of work through some ideas, and it was just easier to create this dialogue and, and do it that way. But he had only a rudimentary knowledge of theater. He'd gone to plays, he knew plays, you know, mm-hmm. but, but he was an audience member too. Yeah. And I think that that might have been his greatest gift, that he had only seen plays. Right. He mm-hmm. hadn't been behind the scenes, he hadn't... Broken yeah. down a script, he hadn't, and mm-hmm. then that leads him to directing, and that I think that that's why we get this this whole new voice from from. I the didn't show. think of that one either. There's a Beckett on Beckett. Uh, yes, Beckett directs Beckett of Godot. That's mm. pretty good too. Um, I'm pretty sure it's black and white. Uh, I yeah. can't even remember if I've watched it all the way through. Ooh, I I have a question yeah. about Waiting for Godot. Are there any has I mean I'm sure it's been tried, but are there any well known or has there been discussions of like women playing the roles or having any women in the cast it's famously you can't oh the estate won't let you no he what happened was it depends on how your story the storytelling goes he he insists that he insisted that you couldn't do it because they are distinctly men and that there's there's issues with the prostate that, that that they talk about and and that, that that flows through it and that that was important to him and that's why later when he wrote he wrote specifically for women okay and it wasn't like oh I, he just didn't want and i think what it was is that he saw a very specific dutch production yeah that was all women mm-hmm. and they had it wasn't just the gender thing it was that they tweaked too many other things oh and that right. that sort of was like mm-hmm. 
no, I'm going to put more control. Over, I'm right. Because if it was me, I would just do it as is. That's just yeah. so happens have, that I have having, and having women playing men. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's different. We can get in like the, he and Albie both have those. Right. There's of, a really right. interesting story of an Albie uh, production where he was in San Francisco, wasn't it? I I believe it was. Yeah. And there, it's actually hilarious how it came out. Is he was on a radio show. Albie was on a radio show, and they took a call, and the call caller said, "Hey." I'm directing currently um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf uh, at a theater, and it's really amazing what we've done with it. We're really excited. Uh, we want you, we'd love it if you could come see it and like give it your blessing. We've cast it as all men. Hmm. Two gay couples. Hmm. And Albie went, you, you what? Hmm. And not because he's a homophobe, he goes, so how do you tackle the fact that it's about false pregnancy? Hmm. And they were like, well, oh, well, well, because, you know, it's like a metaphor. And, because, and he goes, if I had known you were doing that, I would have shut down the production hmm. before it even started rehearsing. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, they, and it, because it's just like, he's like, that's not what the plays is about. Do my other plays if that's what you want to do. Like, that's not what that play is about. Yeah. It's not about relationships. If it was about relationships, sure, cast who the fuck ever. But it's actually about a female's dealing with a, a certain trauma it's not a, you know what i mean right it's, it's not about relationships hetero or or not you right. know it's uh, that's interesting well and 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 beckett you know would talk about later and i think uh the one of the things i do really love about the Stuart mckellen one is how much Didi and gogo love each other yeah they only see, have each other and so that relationship between two men sure was as important to him expressing oh, that in don't that get me way. wrong I bawled my eyes out at the end of the Fathom events you know what I mean yeah, yeah, Patrick yeah. Stewart Ian McCallum like I bawled my eyes out because I just saw two masters tackle a master work <laughs> yes mm-hmm. you know I, sure, I, sure. I came a little bit yeah so like I you know <laughs> right. tears and come I uh, uh, <laughs> tears and my come favorite my favorite work I want to say because <laughs> we're running out of time here for this this first part no yeah, I know um, my favorite production um, was at the Mark Taper in 2012. Who was it? It was Alan Mandel. Um, and if you don't know Alan Mandel, he, I believe, was a Canadian... Howie's uncle. Uh, huh? Howie's <laughs> uncle. <laughs> yeah, I think he was a Canadian actor. But he also had... He knew Beckett, and he was part of the actor's workshop that went in when Sam Quentin famously oh, did right. their production like right. in the 1960s hmm. so he saw these prisoners Damn. go i understand that play yeah. that's and cool. he'd gotten t- he was kind of frustrated because he'd seen i got to see alan mandel in a, a master class workshop thing and he talked about like that he just got frustrated like listening to people go i don't get it i don't get it and i'm yeah. like and and then he goes to this prison and they all get it and wasn't it i don't i might be quoting this wrong wasn't it specifically death row inmates Oh or my not. god! Like I can't I think remember. The whole idea was that it, they were it, like, it, it might have been. It was certainly was serving life. I mean, serving ser- life. Ser- yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. That's what it was. Um, and it's because then you are waiting for Godot, right? You are, You're <laughs> sitting there waiting for nothing. Oh man, I just got chills thinking about that. Yeah, it's just dude. awful. Yeah, awful. Um, but also in a way, it's it's commenting on a lot of uh, you know. Let's if we want to turn it on something we've talked about before, like. Religion, right? This idea of if you God O, you can literally take off the OT. It's God, mm-hmm. right? Like waiting for someone to come save you, waiting for 
something to come and light your candle, right? It's, and it's, it's, what, it's, it's whatever little thing. It's Anything. waiting for the. It's waiting for. It's waiting for the job promotion. Right. If once that happens, then I'll be happy. Right. Once it's, your agent gets you the right audition, you'll. It's like yeah. And well, I think that, that that was. Go ahead. Steve. Well, I was just going to say to the God thing, it's also that flip side too. When I was a kid and super religious, like eternity freaked me out. And I think when I saw right. that PBS set, I was mm-hmm. like, it's eternity. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, and and the, the quote that we, we talked about via text and then we talked about um, in setting up today was a professor talking about Beckett is difficult. It's hard. It's, you don't walk. There isn't no, there is no clarity of the answer. Right. He didn't have clarity of the answer. Yeah. It was the exploration of it. And the, the fact that, 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 that cycle continues, the fact that the, the, the boy comes in at the end and you're like, is it the same boy? Right. Cause he doesn't seem to recognize them, but then they don't recognize him either. And all these, these little things. And it's, it, it is it is a play, and I think why it's it's so significant is that you keep coming back to it. And so m- me now in my 40s, and I think that as we get into the second episode and, and some of the other stuff, like this sort of midlife, uh, you know, Crap's Last Tape really gets into it. Um, you know, yeah. getting older, having regrets, looking back at those regrets, and that there's... There's no solidity in in moving forward. That it's going to get worse before. Oh my God! I'm feeling you know that so, so hard that's, these that's last couple sad, weeks. But then, <laughs> yeah. then if you accept that, and then just go, there's some really great fart jokes in in Godot. There's some really great <laughs> toilet humor in yeah. there too. That yeah. that makes it an, a great entertainment, a great yeah. evening of entertainment. Um, I, I just wanted to real quick, and then I'm also I'm sorry. It turned out. The Alan Mandel production at the Mark Taper also had James Cromwell as Pazzo. Oh, shit. I forget the actor who played uh, Vladimir. Okay. But then uh, our good friend, uh, friend of the pod, uh, Sacred Fools associate member, Hugo Armstrong played Lucky in that production. Of course cool. he fucking did. Of course did. he fucking did. And he was probably nominated for a thousand awards yeah, he was for like, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hugo, do you know Hugo? I don't know Hugo. He's- Hugo is... Is is a, a legend here in sort of. A he's small, an amazing, small, talented he's guy. He's been at every. He's been at every Geffen Playhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah everything. Yeah. He was in Behavior of Brodus with me. He played oh, Brodus. Cool. Yeah, wow, okay. and he's he's like over. He's like six four. Yeah, just this tall kind of you know not lanky but kind of. He's a big he's dude. Just, but he's just he's just a magnificent. Very cool. I mean, speaking of Lucky, that's what I wanted to talk about. Is yeah. Lucky's monologue. Oh, yeah. Real quick, right? I mean, it's kind of a dream role for me just because of this monologue. I just really want to do it. I think um, the thing I got out of it when we did the humanities, when I took the humanities class and he handed this to us was he did do the thing where he read this monologue to us without all of the extra stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it ends up being basically the thematic statement of the play. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I didn't, I didn't have time. I didn't sit down and do it. But the beginning is... Given the existence of a personal God with white beard, outside of time, without extension, who from the heights of divine apathia loves us dearly with some exceptions. And then it goes on to talk about like, I'm not going to do the whole thing, but the whole, if you go to it and you cut out all of the, as uttered forth in the public works of Puncher and Watman, quack, 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 all that extra crap, it ends up being this really 
poignant take on existentialism and religion and basically what the whole play is about. And that's why I'd really like to, I'd like to direct it, but I'd really like to play Lucky and do mm. some really crazy, interesting shit with that monologue oh, and yeah. really get that point out without, you know, how do you get that point out without it being obvious? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, but I don't know. It's a weird monologue. It's really cool. Well, and it, he's starting to play with what, what will show up later on, like in the later one woman stuff, like not I, yeah. not I is, is a right. whole play that's like that. And yeah. he gets into this thing, um, which I found fascinating because Lynch, David Lynch is also had a similar thing, right. which was the idea of, of train of thought, the idea of getting thought from, from here to the stage as quickly as possible yeah. for Beckett, which is what Lynch right. tries to do. How do I get from my subconscious, from my dream state, right. to the screen as quickly as possible? And a lot of people is, with Lynch, especially, there's that, like, well, I just, I, I don't get it. Or people think they get it and they don't. It's like, it's not about getting it. It's about it's experiencing about, it. It's about experiencing it. And yeah. so whenever somebody tries to, de- recently, someone tried to debate me about it, who we all know, I won't even say your name. But I, I, And I was just like, I can't even do this because you're trying to debate whether it's good or not. Right. And I can't mm-hmm. even have that debate with you because I don't think it's either. And I also don't think it's about like whether I understand or get it. It's about what I walk away with each time and what it what it imprints on me. Mm-hmm. And what you'll walk away from 10 years from now when right. you get to see a production. And right. that's Beckett. I yeah. think Beckett is a little more digestible, especially with Godot, than a lot of Lynch maybe is. Sure. But like some of his other stuff, Rough for Theater, stuff like that, like play, yeah. that shit is not digestible. And <laughs> people say it's shit just right away. And it's like, no, that like you need to... Uh, let it wash over you differently than a play does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why it's called play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we close out this episode? I think yes. we need to. I think I, we have there's to. a few uh, there's a few quotes I just wanted to throw out. Yeah, from quick Godot quote that always just um, quick quote. Estragon has uh, well. There's a, an exchange. We always find something add to give us the impression we exist. Yes. Yes, we're magicians. <laughs> I just always love that. Yeah. And nothing happens. Nobody comes. Nobody goes. It's awful. And A- then Alan uh, Schneider asked one t- the first American director of Godot like asked Beckett like who is Godot? Yeah. Because he obviously I guess didn't. Yeah, 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 he was yeah, like, yeah. Who is Godot? And Beckett just said like if I knew it would be in the play. Yeah. He's like <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Oh, I also love that Bert Lahr played the first. Was in the first American production. He played as who? Go 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 as no Estragon. The Cowardly Lion played Estragon. That's really in the cool. original, I love that. In I the that. original I really Broadway that. really cool. uh, Godot. I think they opened it in Miami. They did like a test run in yeah. Miami, Miami. And Bert Lahr was like, ah, I don't know. But cool. he got raves for it, you know. Good for him. Uh, is there anything else, CJ? Do you have any final thoughts on uh, on Gazelle? I Gatto. I it, it's kind of how I'm feeling about Beckett in general, especially now that I'm learning, just sitting here learning more about him. I need more time with it, and yeah. I think I I'm so glad I came back to it because I feel differently about it now than I did when I was 17, and I'm going to feel differently about it next time because I know more about Beckett. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's it. It's yeah. And in the meantime, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing really matters. Anyone can see. Thank you for joining us for our first episode in our mini series, Waiting for Pado. Uh, do you guys say, real quick, do you guys say Godot? Gado? Godot? Godot? 
I, Got I've it. always the said Godot. I, I've, I've been instructed that, a that it is Godot. God, Godot. They say Godot, Godot in the PBS. It's just, it scans better with all the sentences when you Godot. say Godot. We're waiting for Godot. We're waiting for Godot. Right. Godot scans, puts a stop in the middle of the yeah, But the humanities teacher thing. that I disliked always said Godot. Because yeah. he was very about the fact that it meant God. It punches, he was like, no, this is a religious thing. Purely um, religious. We to, were like, you're, okay. It's Fine. Godot. Um, but, uh, anyway... We'll be back next week for our second episode of Waiting for Pado. We'll be discussing Endgame, Crab's Last Tape, and Happy Days. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm excited about all those. And then we might throw in some other little things because I directed Rougher Theater 2 one time and I want to talk about it. Um, And thank you so much uh, to Pamela Quinn for uh, the song that you'll hear at the end. And also thank you to Ryan Thomas Thomas Johnson Johnson for (laughs) our... You know what I I always want to call him? Either Ryan... Howard, uh-huh. because that's from The Office. Uh-huh. B.J. Novak plays Ryan Howard. Right, right, right. Or Ryan Johnson, just without the Thomas, because Ryan Johnson, like the director, like of, the director, yeah, of uh, Last Jedi. Well, right? that's right. why. So he, I'm that's always like kind of looking Ryan. you guys in the eye, being Ryan Thomas Hayden Christian Church, <laughs> <laughs> Hayden Thomas Christians. What? Are, who is this guy? We no. love you, Ryan. We love you, Ryan. <laughs> I'm <laughs> totally <laughs> bullshitting. Ryan Thomas Johnson, you're fucking phenomenal. He wrote our theme song. And uh, follow us on all the things. Subscribe, rate, review. We love you so much. Yeah. And uh, we're going to just do like a minute of silence while we wait. Um, and then you'll hear Pam's song. All right, here we go. Hey. I'm just kidding. We uh, love you. Later, later, everybody. Thank you so much. Are you tall? Or are you wise? Will you be in disguise? Are you smart? Or are you dumb? Are you the one to hear my cries? Waiting, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you. Stop waiting, just 